Hey there, language lovers, Shannon here, welcoming you to the latest episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. And in this episode, Benny and I talk to Lindy Botez, a YouTuber, polyglot, and UI slash UX designer. Some of the things that we discuss in this episode are transitioning from language learner to language mentor, gaining the confidence to put yourself out there as a language learner, how to deal with negative criticism and ignore trolls as a polyglot YouTuber, systems and processes for keeping track of your language progress, and growing up bilingual and whether or not it gives you an advantage over learning other languages. So if you enjoy the Language Hacking Podcast, which I hope you do, please let us know by leaving us a review. We would absolutely love to know what you think and what's working for you. So you can leave us your thoughts at languagehacking.com slash review. We really appreciate hearing from you. And of course, we read every single review. Now, on to our discussion with Lindy. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 34. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. My name is Shannon and with me I have my co-host Benny Lewis. Hey, hey, hey. And in this episode, we are chatting with Lindy Botez, who is a third culture kid, multilingual mentor and learner and has a lot of exciting projects that she's completed, as well as the fact that she is a designer who specializes in UI and how language is a part of that. So she has a very unique perspective on languages and language learning. So we're going to go ahead and just get right into it. Lindy, do you want to tell us how you got into this whole languages thing? Hello, thank you so much for having me. How I got into languages thing. So it's actually been quite a slow process throughout my life. Um, it wasn't one day that I really woke up and I was like, okay, this is my thing. I love languages. Um, but I did grow up having to take a few different language classes at school, much like other people. And I always thought language learning was just a school subject until um, my mom saw an ad in the newspaper for free Korean lessons. And she was like, hey, do you want to take free Korean lessons with me? And I was like, um, what? <laughs> and that kind of started the whole um, journey of how I started learning Korean about 10 years ago. And then from there, it branched out into other languages similar to Korean. So um, Mandarin and Japanese and Vietnamese. And uh, I just discovered that language learning is, is such a great way to expand your worldview and meet new friends. Um, so I just started picking up a few languages after that on the side. And uh, of course, you've gotten into the process of sharing this with the world and things like your YouTube channel have absolutely exploded. So how did you transition from learning languages yourself to sharing that and inspiring others? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question because I'm, I'm actually quite uh, shy and quite an introvert. And I think because of my YouTube channel or, or, or the internet, I've kind of grown out of my shell a little bit, I come out of my shell. So I remember watching uh, the OG YouTube polyglots a few years ago and I was like, oh man, that's, that's really cool. You know, they're, they're, they're showing off their skills, they're documenting their progress. And how about I try and make a video as well with my like 
two baby languages trying. Um, and it was more just to document my progress, um, have like a video diary of seeing how I improve over the years. So I started uploading my videos and it really wasn't with the intention of growing a channel or starting a community. It was really just like, hello world, this is me. <laughs> um, and from there I realized, wow, there's like a ton of people in this community and we have a lot in common. So we started making videos on the same topic. And um, it was only when one of my videos went viral in Korea that my channel started growing. Um, so before that, it was, it was just a quiet, small corner in language YouTube. I remember a little while back watching one of your videos. Um, and I know that you've done several of these where you try and fool native speakers into also thinking that you're a native speaker and you record your conversations and, uh, your reactions to that, their reactions to you. And you said that you're a little bit shy. So I know doing something like this, having the confidence to go out, have those conversations, then record them and share them can be a little intimidating. So, what would your advice be to someone who's nervous about putting themselves out there on YouTube or recording themselves doing things like this? Yeah. Uh, number one, just be gentle with yourself. It does take time. It's not like I, I learned how to put myself out there overnight. I remember um, the first time I just wanted to say hello to someone in Korean after learning Korean. I was sweating. I was so shy and nervous. So it definitely took years for me to get to the point of just being able to like call a stranger and upload the video online. The other thing is don't do it if you don't want to. Just because some people are doing it and it's a thing, you don't have to do it unless you unless you want to. I know a lot of people um, understand that recording yourself is good to track your progress and gain speaking skills, but you don't have to show that to anyone. Then if you do, you just need to pep talk yourself into it and say, well, what's what's the point of this, right? If this is really going to help me, if this is going to help me grow a community, make friends, practice my language, then it's just like ripping off the bandaid. You just have to try once and you'll see it's really not that bad. And I know myself from putting my content out there that you can you can get a lot of anonymous cruelty from people who are very mean to you that they're not like obviously these are the exceptions they're not the actual language learning community which is always very supportive and kind but um i'm sure you've run into a couple of issues as you've uploaded this content how have you handled that absolutely um i'm i'm quite clo close with my parents and i remember when i was just starting out my youtube journey i would i would have there were some really mean comments that I cannot even say on air and they would really get to me. And I mean, I was a teenager or, you know, early university. I was really impressionable. And I just remember talking to my parents like, wow, like, why is this affecting me so much? Like I got, for example, a hundred amazing comments and one really bad comment. Um, and it just helped to have someone else's perspective, someone who's not, um, who's not me. Just be like, hey, like, look at all the good comments you're getting versus one. You're not going to let one bad egg ruin your day. And it just took a lot of, um, I guess, logical and rational thinking to be like, well, this person is not me. They don't know my story. I have my friends. I have my reasons for doing this. And I'm just going to let this person be. And another thing that helped me was just not to get involved. It's so easy to just um be defensive and be like hey that's not true or no don't don't say that but like what's the point uh so just uh, it took me a long while but i guess just ignoring ignoring the haters otherwise you you start online debates that you really don't want to be in 
You've mentioned your mom a couple times now being close with your parents and that your whole language learning journey got kicked off learning Korean with your mom, but you were also learning another language with your mom at some point? So my mom is quite adventurous and really into different cultures and languages as well. She's not necessarily a serious language learner, but she's very much an extrovert. So having grown up that we we move around to different countries and are um, always exposed to different languages, she's always trying to pick up languages here and there. Um, so she, she can speak a little bit of Japanese because uh, we lived there. And I remember when I started learning Hungarian, she also um, picked up a few words here and there. So so we like to throw in some, some Hungarian and Spanish as well. I think my mom is actually the reason I started learning Spanish too. So uh, as you were learning it, like inspired by learning with your mom, uh, what did you enjoy most about that process of learning alongside her compared to like some of your other language projects that you would have learned maybe by yourself. I like that we can kind of have our own secret conversations or inside jokes where the rest of the family might not understand the language and we'll throw in that word, or we can teach the rest of the family as well. Like um, uh, an example I like to use is that we we usually say itadakimasu before we eat as a family. And that's really because we, we lived in Japan for a long time and we got so used to that. And now it's kind of just like our family thing as well. So we kind of like teaching each other just simple words here and there. And that just kind of makes dinner time conversation more fun as well. You mentioned having lived in a few different places, living in Japan and um, in, your, in, in the introduction, I even mentioned that you refer to yourself as a third culture kid. So what exactly does that mean to you and how has it shaped your language learning? Mm. So a third culture kid is, um, I don't like that term because I don't think I'm a kid anymore, but they don't have really other terms for, for adults. But it's basically someone who grew up in a country or different countries other than their passport country. So I haven't necessarily grown up for a long time in South Africa, even though I am South African. So it just means you're, you're very, um, shaped and molded by different um, cultures and languages outside of yours. And I think the main thing that that has given me, not necessarily language skills, because I only picked up language learning about 10 years ago, um, but definitely um, opening my worldview. And while well, number one, being exposed to different languages, whether I learned them or not, and number two, being exposed to different cultures, ways of seeing the world, different people's stories, and that's essentially what language learners do as well. So there's there's quite a lot in common between uh, third culture ki- third culture kids and language learners in general, in terms of trying to understand the world from a different perspective, make friends from different countries. Um, I see a lot of parallels between those two. Was there anything in particular that inspired you to pick the languages that you've learned? Because you've got quite a wide array of them, and there's a million reasons to learn any given language. But what's been the spark for you for each of them? That's a fantastic question because the story is different for every language. Strangely enough, I find that, so I am not musical at all. I am tone deaf. I refuse to uh, sing or play an instrument in front of anyone. But a lot of the times it's actually music that gets me into learning language. So I might hear a song and be like, wow, what is, what is this language that sounds so beautiful? I wish I could understand it or... Um, maybe I meet someone from a different country. So Hungarian, for instance, I, I met someone online who was Hungarian and I had never heard that language. I was like, wow, this sounds so weird. So I started listening to the music and I was like, okay, I can, how can I not learn this language? 
Um, so I guess it's very auditory for me based on the sound of the language. Um, I know for Korean and Japanese, a lot of times it's influenced by pop culture. You might like K-pop or anime. It was not really the story in my case because Korean was kind of a happy accident and Japanese was the result of learning Korean because the two are quite similar. Um, but yeah, every language has a different story. You uh, have learned several languages and one of the techniques that you enjoy doing is learning a language up to a level that's high enough that you can begin studying another language through that other language. Can you give some examples of when you've done this and some of the techniques you use to do this? Right. So um, I think because Korea and Japan are geographically very close and linguistically a little as well, a lot of the resources for learning Japanese that are written in Korean are quite high quality. Uh, so I, I visited Korea quite a few times. And while I was there, I would buy textbooks for learning Japanese, but in Korean. Uh, and because the languages have very similar grammar, it was actually a lot easier to learn Japanese through Korean than it was to learn Japanese through English. Um, so mostly, I guess my method, if you could call it that, is just getting textbooks in a language that I understand well enough, but also a language that is um, similar, maybe grammatically, so that your brain doesn't have to do that switch of like word order, for instance. Yeah, language stacking or laddering is a, a very, very helpful approach. I've used it myself. But um, one other aspect is that you're kind of using two languages at the same time, maintaining one over the other. But I think one part of your approach is also that you do like to, uh, you try to learn multiple languages at the same time. And this is something I've personally never been able to do myself. So I'm very curious, other than obviously language stacking and using one language to learn another, how do you manage your time and how do you manage your, uh, like, how do you not mix them up when you're learning two languages at the same time? Mm. That is a good question because I think it is inevitable that you will mix up some languages. And it's not in the sense of when I need to speak Korean, suddenly I'm speaking Spanish. It's always in those very small things like the filler words saying like therefore or um or um ah. Those things always happen to be in another language when I'm speaking. Uh, I always mix up the, the Spanish entonces and the French alors. Uh, I, I mean, it's been years that I've learned French and a few months of Spanish, but I'm always going to mix up those two. Um, in terms of maintaining it, I try to have a main focus on a few languages for a few months or weeks instead of literally learning 12 languages at once. So I would kind of break it up in, in, in chapters in the year. So I'd say like January, February, March is my Korean focus. And at that time, I would maintain all the other languages. So still talking to friends in Japanese, listening to podcasts in French, writing a journal in Spanish, but main focus study is Korean. And then maybe right now, my very main focus is Hungarian. So I'm taking italki lesson. I'm listening to Hungarian music all the time, but that doesn't mean I'm ignoring my other languages. I would just do some daily activities in that. Again, reading books, podcasts, all of the um, passive learning would be in other languages. But my main active study, I would keep to two or max three languages. Another important thing is not to learn uh, beginner level languages at the same time. So I would die if I had to do like Hungarian, Hindi, Tagalog, and Arabic at the same time, because they're all beginner for me. But I can do maybe um, intensive French study and beginner Hungarian study at the same time because my French is way more advanced than my Hungarian. 
So I'm not going to get confused per se. Um, but it is mentally taxing. And uh, well, for me, it, it would be impossible to do uh, multiple beginner languages at once. You mentioned several languages that have different writing systems, Korean, Japanese. What is your perspective on learning a language with another writing system? And what is your approach to learning that writing system? I like to spend as much time as possible learning the script in the beginning. I don't like to rely on romanization. Uh, it might not always be accurate. And if you want to learn to read and write faster, you're going to have to learn the script from the start. Uh, so that's always um, sometimes the reason I do learn a new language is because I'm interested in the script uh, visually. And I like writing a lot on paper. So that's a very important process, um, a part of the process for me. As for learning the script, um, you can start out by learning individual characters. So, I mean, we could just leave Mandarin Chinese out of the, we just leave Chinese characters out of the e equation now because that's a whole different story. But for a language like uh, Korean or Japanese, for instance, or Thai even, um, you can learn the individual characters first, but then I like to build it up into words so that you're not always repeating the same character, doing flashcard drills with one single character. But you start with baby words, like two character words or three character words. And that way you're learning vocabulary as well as the script at the same time. And as well as just exposing yourself to the words through script um, for languages that, that use the same writing system as uh, European languages. Do you have a process for acquiring that vocabulary, like a particular system that you found has worked for you to help you memorize them easier? So learning vocabulary that is not in a script, a different script per se. Either way, like how, how do you generally learn vocabulary? Do you have a based repetition app that you like to use or mnemonics? Like do you have a preference for or just pure exposure? Goodness, Vinny, I wish I could ask you that question because I don't have the answer. I feel like there's a thousand <laughs> ways to learn vocabulary and I'm still trying to find the one. You know, I think every method works. It's actually just the one you enjoy, right? There are people who love Anki. I could not be bothered because the interface is hideous. <laughs> and as a designer, it just pains my eyes. But it's a good system. It works for a lot of people. Um, I remember starting out, I did a lot of flashcards. I would make my own flashcards by hand um, and just go through that. And after a while, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm just looking at pieces of paper every day. This is this is just not how I should be doing it. Um, and I realized uh, it's a lot easier for me to approach, a, um, to use a much more natural approach of speaking and um, learning words from when I hear them. So I like to listen to a lot of podcasts and music, if that's not obvious already. So whenever there's a new word that pops up there, uh, I will try and write it down and look it up. And if it's, I try to listen or read things that are relevant to my interests. So let's say design, for instance, even though my Spanish is quite basic, it's um, at a level good enough to be able to read a basic article about design and still have a lot of words that I need to look up. And because these words are interesting and important to me, I'm more likely to remember them. So it's more of how important is this word to me that I'm going to put the effort in rather than, oh, here's a list of 200 words that I must memorize. Um, so it's just reading and looking up words within my interests and exposure to it. So if this word is gonna pop up in 10 other articles and five other podcasts, well, I don't even need to write it down because I know I'm constantly gonna hear it and then remember it. We've talked a bit about your approach to learning vocabulary, but what is your approach to tackling grammar? 
Oh, goodness. Uh, I do love grammar. I actually like studying grammar from books. I love the explanations of how it works, uh, especially Japanese and Korean, where you need to conjugate verbs according to the grammar structure. Um, I really enjoy that. So honestly, just a traditional uh, textbook approach to grammar. But you can sound very textbooky and you might not sound natural because sometimes what's written in a textbook is not how people use it naturally. So very much exposure to the language, whether it's just watching a movie or a TV show or actually talking to people. The more you're exposed to a specific grammar, the more you'll realize, okay, well, you, you don't actually have to use it this way. Or um, people actually leave out this particle when they speak a language. So in, in addition to getting the base structure and rules down from a textbook or a video online that teaches you, uh, just exposing yourself to it with um, friends and native speakers can help too. So you've mentioned a couple of times that um, your passion is for design. And like you said, you you looked at even apps like Anki with that critical eye. And I know that's got to influence your entire learning philosophy. Like uh, Shannon, for instance, has a music background. So that definitely influences how she approaches language learning. I have an engineering background and, and that changes my philosophy of how I, I look at everything. So how is coming from this design background influenced your language learning and obviously it's influenced the kind of content that you would uh, enjoy reading about and such but have you found like design in the languages you've looked at some kind of aesthetics or uh, how has it influenced your experience as a language learner Hmm. I wonder if that's why I'm so attracted to languages that have a different script writing system, because visually it just fascinates me understanding how these characters were, how they originated and how they can be used. So um, I would actually say that language influences design for me a lot more than my design mind might influence my language learning. So sometimes part of how I want to interact with a new script writing system or language is by creating designs in another language. So I, I had a poster series that I made in Japanese a few years ago with Japanese song lyrics or um, like sayings or single words, just because I wanted to explore digital Japanese typography. How can I push this character um, to its design limits? How can I um, explore different fonts and what they mean in another language? If we think, for instance, in, in English or, or Latin languages, so Comic Sans is obviously seen as very comical. It's a childish looking font and Times New Roman is very serious looking. How does that translate into Korean or um, Japanese, for instance? Is there an equivalent of Times New Roman for Japanese? So I like to think about those things um, from a visual uh, design perspective as well. Um, and like you mentioned, yeah, just the content I, I like to read in another language is generally related to design. But right now I'm, I'm trying to see where can I, how can I bridge uh, languages and design in specifically UI UX design? So, so app, app and web design. And I'm particularly interested in, in learning more about how languages influence um, the design of an interface. So if you have a language that's written from right to left, how do you cater your interface or your screen um, to cater for that. Maybe you're designing an app which has to uh, accommodate two different languages, but they're written completely differently. How do you make an interface that works for both? So from what you've said, it sounds like you have a very systematic approach to your languages and your design and incorporating the two together. So 
Do you have any systems or methods that you use for keeping track of your studies, for noting progress in your languages and other things like that? Yeah, great question. I've actually used quite a few systems or processes to track my progress. Um, and I still shuffle between them trying to find what's the best or most interesting. Um, I started out with like video logs, um, just tracking how I can speak over a few months. Um, but that does get tedious. Like it's, it's big files. It's, uh, you might not watch them again. Then I had a lot of journals. So I would have, I would dedicate a journal one language per year to a journal. So I would have a year where I would just keep a daily diary every single day for Japanese. Then I did it for Chinese and I did it for Korean as well. Uh, obviously, you have to be at a, a level good enough to be able to write about your day. And that can be stressful as well. Um, but it's a good way to improve your learning as well as track it to be like, oh, man, on January 1st, I could only talk about my my tea. But on December 31st, I could talk about, you know, lunch with friends. <laughs> I see how you progress that way. Uh, a lot, other people like to track their progress more systematically, like how many hours have I studied? Uh, what vocabulary did I do? That's just quite tedious for me. So I don't really count my hours or my words. But I do, I am exploring digitally now um, using Notion to track just what I do in the language. So maybe Hungarian, I had a lesson or I wrote an essay. For French, I listened to two podcasts and spoke to a friend. Um, so just keeping track of my activities uh, rather than my progress, for instance, more just to see how much time I spend on the language. And I also have a daily tracker in Notion where I just simply put a tag of the language I learned in my my diary. So I write about a sentence a day just so that I stay sane during quarantine so I know where my time goes and then I have a little column for language as well and it's it's really just that it's one tag that says like French and that means I did something in French every day and over the span of a few months I can be like well can I really say I'm learning Indonesian if I haven't done anything in Indonesian for six months hmm <laughs> and the, the thing is I, I know that you use Notion because I follow the stuff that you post online and like previously I, like I touched on some of the challenges with that, but I'm also very interested to hear the benefits that you found from the very supportive language community on the likes of YouTube and of course, Instagram that you post on very regularly. What interesting interactions have you had with the community and how has this helped you evolve your language learning approach? Number one, people love sharing resources online, Instagram and Tumblr even and WordPress. Those are such great platforms that people use to share resources in the language they're learning. Um, or even if you are wondering, like, what textbook should I get? There is bound to be a bunch of people who are like, hey, I've used this one. It's really great. Or eh, that one is not so good. So it's really like a nice community discussion that you can have around resources. The other one is just feeling like, oh, you know, I'm not alone in this journey when I'm struggling with grammar or when I don't know, you know, when am I going to progress or when am I actually going to get fluent? There are thousands of other people who are in the same boat. So definitely number one, just sharing resources. And number two, the community aspect of feeling you're not alone and also making friends. I if I imagine myself with my life without languages, um, I would cry. I would have like no friends. <laughs> so definitely I've met so many people online, even just, um, going to polyglot conference last year. I, I'm, I'm so shy. I just do not like talking to strangers. And just the fact that I've met people online who I now see in person 
I feel a lot more comfortable to go up and say hello to them because there's already been like, hey, we're online friends. So obviously we're going to talk to each other in person. That's a lot, lot less intimidating than meeting a stranger. So um, really, it sounds so cheesy, but making friends. <laughs> now, in addition to having studied several languages, you actually grew up bilingual. Do you think that that gave you any sort of advantage in learning additional languages? I've never thought about that, actually. Um, for me, it's it's always just been how it is. It's Afrikaans at home and English at school. Um, in fact, I was actually not great at Afrikaans. So when I, um, you mean, I mean, I've never learned it from an academic perspective. It's only been something I've spoken at home. So when I took Afrikaans at school, um, my spelling was really bad. I didn't know how to write essays. So I actually don't think being bilingual has necessarily an impact on your ability to speak languages. It's really the work and effort you put in. I had to learn how to write Afrikaans. It was not something that came naturally for me. Um, but I do think maybe it exposed my ears to different sounds at an early stage. Um, let's say, for instance, speaking English at school, hearing Urdu all around me in Pakistan and hearing Afrikaans at home. Obviously, my ears were exposed to at minimum three different languages a day from a very young age. So uh, sometimes I find it easier to learn how to pronounce a language or focus on listening um, a lot more than than learning how to spell or learning grammar. So uh, we kind of touched on uh, previously, we mentioned that your YouTube channel really exploded when a particular vi video went viral. And um, in this video, you're recovering from surgery and you suddenly start speaking Korean, if I'm right. And I've, I personally had a couple of surgeries, um, just over the last year and I did not wake up speaking another language. So I'm, I'm very curious. What, what was the reasoning behind that? And, uh, like what's going, what's going on there? That's exactly why I posted the video because I'm curious too. So back when I posted the video, I think I had like 2000 or 3000 subscribers and I literally posted it. And the description back then was like, Hey guys, like what is going on? I am English slash offer Why am I speaking Korean in this like state of waking up? And it's not something that I can fake. I cannot wake up from anesthesia and just like, you know, you totally cannot control what goes on there. So I posted it to my like language friends and be like, hey, guys, let's talk about this. Like, is this a thing? Has this happened to anyone? So I don't have the answer. Um, the, the first time it happened, I had returned from a trip to Korea a few months ago. So maybe my brain was really Korean. The second time, that's when the video was filmed. I had not been to Korea recently and I was learning other languages as well. So I wonder if Korean is just a very emotional language to me. Just the way the language is, how the language has been constructed is a lot more emotional than English. There's a lot more feelings you can express in Korean uh, verbally than you than something you'd have to do maybe with nuances or, or nonverbal communication in English. So maybe because I was in pain and I was suffering and it was just not a great situation, maybe Korean was the language that I felt that my brain was like, okay, this is how we express what you're going through now. Um, I don't have the answers. <laughs> I wish I knew. Well, if it, if it helps, I've got this really random association myself that anytime I'm in a Starbucks, I want to order in Mandarin. And the very simple reason is I never in my life went to Starbucks until I lived in Taiwan. And to this day, it'll always be Shinbaka. That's the name of the place, not Starbucks. Always going to be that in my head. And I go in and I just, I have to resist the urge 
to, to order, uh, you know, my co- copy and everything like I originally did. So maybe there was some, some kind of, um, a tie there beyond the emotional tie, some kind of actual association from the hospital or something like that, that, uh, could have tied you in there. Yeah, that's a crazy story. Thanks for sharing. I think that must be it. Our, our brain makes these connections subconsciously that we, we don't always know and it just kind of happens. Yeah. To elaborate on this a bit further, especially because you said that you're shy and you're not particularly outgoing and you're nervous approaching people. Um, and then what you just said about Korean being a more expressive language. So you being able to express this more emotional state in a language that isn't your native language. Do you feel like perhaps some of these other languages, you have a different personality or a different way of thinking or anything along those lines? I used to think that with each language, I have a kind of a different part of me or a different personality or I kind of become a different person in each language. But uh, since last year, I've actually listened to a lot of um, Polygot Conference and Women in Language talks on this topic. And it's really shaped how I think about this, that it's not actually becoming a different person or having a different personality. It's actually just the same part of you, but different sides of it are showing. It's like an onion and you're peeling off the layers um, to reveal different parts of yourself that was originally there. So I am actually naturally very humorous and comedic. Um, I used to be the class clown and I'm really funny in Afrikaans, but maybe I'm just a little more shy in other languages because maybe I don't have the vocabulary to be funny yet. I think it just takes time to to learn the language more and then these parts of you will come out. But that being said, um, culture does influence that a lot. In Korean, it's it's totally acceptable to talk about bodily functions, for instance. Whereas in English or Afrikaans, that's like just taboo. You don't talk about poo. <laughs> but I've 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 learned that with with my Korean friends, that's something they're very comfortable to talk about. And um, not saying that's the case for everyone, but definitely more than I've experienced in English and Afrikaans. So once you realize, okay, well, this is okay to talk about. This is what people. Um, don't mind discussing, then you kind of break out of your shell a bit more in a certain language. So you mentioned that you've uh, been really learning uh, to change your perspective on things through the Women in Language and the Polyglot conferences. What, what other things have you picked up from other polyglots or from these events that have changed your understanding of language learning? Recently, it's been um, journaling in another language. A few people brought that up. And I guess just in general, mental uh, mental health and language learning. So anything that ranges from language burnout to um, fatigue to journaling in another language has been very interesting for me. And I was particularly interested in how journaling in another language can help you work through um, maybe your emotions or journaling because you are, let's say you're not fluent in another language, but you're trying to journal in it. You obviously have to simplify your thoughts down to the very basic issue. If you don't know how to use, you know, expansive vocabulary, if you journal in another language, you're changing the way you think about a certain situation. So if you're going through a very hard time, you write about it in another language and you simplify that down. Maybe that can help you think about the situation differently. So these days I've been thinking about that a lot, how um, language learning and, and mental health and journaling kind of all tie in together. One of the questions that we like to ask everyone who comes on the podcast is what their interpretation of language hacking is. So what would language hacking be to you? Um, if I just completely have to make up my own definition, for, for instance, it would be 
breaking away from from the norm of what language learning is seen to be. So a lot of us were raised with language learning is a class you take at school and you you study for it, you learn grammar tables and you uh, take an exam and that's it. Breaking away from that is really finding what works for you to learn a language in different contexts and different situations. Uh, you can hack a script, for instance, you can find just different novel ways of interacting with a language apart from what society and books and teachers are telling us. That's a great definition. I like that. And one thing I'm sure many people would be constantly asking, oh, what language is next? But I'm actually very curious to to hear what what do you think is your big plan as you continue and you have this huge platform you can make an influence on and what's like um like business wise and what do you plan to do with all of this and what's the future of what you your platform might become yeah for now i want to continue seeing how i can um mix languages and design specifically in ui so actually more how can languages impact what i'm doing um at work and then of course i would love to continue growing my channel keep making videos that are useful for people and um, I'm trying to see if I can write a few ebooks. Uh, there's a lot of FAQs I get on very specific topics, and it's just impossible to answer every single question you get on every platform online. So maybe collating all of that into an ebook or, or a video course or a podcast, even those are a lot of thoughts I've had. As for now, um, obviously, my full time job still has to be my priority. So a lot of thoughts and no solid plans yet. So it will be as much a surprise to you as it will be to me. <laughs> that um, makes me think of another question that I'd love to ask you. And that is having a full-time job that's not necessarily language related. How do you fit your language learning around that? Yeah, I take uh, language lessons in the evenings after work. Um, minimum, uh, sorry, maximum three days a week. Otherwise, my brain will explode. So on Mondays, I do Hungarian. Tuesdays, I do Spanish. And Saturdays, I do Vietnamese. Uh, so that's about three hours of full lessons. And then on the weekends, um, on Sundays, I usually meet with a French friend and we have an entire day just in French. So that's all my French exposure I need for the week to get me going. And then whenever I have free time, it'll be the minor stuff like um, going through an app or you know, I might be sitting on the bus and listening to a podcast. Um, I just listen to podcasts all the time. And because I'm working from home, I get to just listen to audio a lot. So any audio lessons or um, podcasts recorded in a different language. So most of my learning right now is um, auditory. And then whenever I have the energy, so that might be later on a Saturday, I might go to a cafe and get some actual book studying. In. Excellent. Well, I think uh, you've you've given a lot of food for thought here, a lot of things uh, that I'm sure will inspire people moving forward with their own language learning projects. So I will definitely make sure in the show notes that we're going to link to all of your channels and your site and just ways people can uh, can find you and find your content. Otherwise, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. And until the next time, I'm going to wish everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. Happy language learning. (laughs) 
So at the end of every episode, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from the discussion that we had with our guest. And this is something that is immediately actionable, something that you can take steps on and employ in your language learning right away so that you can get immediate results, try something new, or even improve the way that you're already learning languages. So Benny, let's start with you today. What was your takeaway from the discussion with Lindy? So I I think the thing that jumped out to me the most was how she uses journaling so centrally to her language learning process. And she said she's done it in so many different languages. But also, as she mentioned, she's been fascinated about mental health and the the idea that journaling on a day-to-day basis, like a lot of people are becoming aware, can be very good to um, to make sure that you're expressing gratitude and that you're just uh, thinking actively about your day. And I like that if you try to do this in your target language, you can kind of, in a way, kill two birds with one stone because you're both doing this important activity that I think is very beneficial to your mental health and you're getting practice in the language. And like previously, I would have thought, okay, I could only really do this in my top languages. But I like what she said, that the idea that maybe if you are weaker in the language, it means that you're forcing yourself to simplify your thoughts. And sometimes I know when I've tried to journal in English, I talk around the problem a lot. And maybe I might actually express what's on my mind a little bit better if I used simpler languages or simpler language from a language that I'm maybe not as skilled in. So I think this might be something I, I seriously consider adding to my routines of journaling in languages, including languages I'm not that strong in. What about yourself? So for me, my takeaway was what she's doing as far as her systems for keeping track of her languages. I also use Notion, but I don't, I haven't necessarily used it in the same way that she has. And I'd actually love to get a peek at her language log on Notion to see exactly what she's doing to see if it's something that might work for me as well. But I use an app called Streaks to keep track of my language learning. But all it lets me do really is say yes or no to whether I've studied a particular language that day. So I can see exactly what percentage I study each language overall uh, based on what my goal is. Three days, four days, seven days, whatever. It doesn't matter. But I love the idea of actually having more insight into what I've been doing and how I've been spending my time on a language because obviously, you know, five minutes with a language learning app does not equal a language learning lesson that's an hour long in an actual discussion. But for me, the way that I'm logging my language learning is I get the same credit for it. So it's a yes or no, whether it's an hour long lesson and a yes or no, whether it's five minutes of vocabulary study. So actually quantifying it a little bit more and really seeing exactly what it is that I'm doing and, and having the opportunity to evaluate the effect of what I'm doing has on my progress in a language. So definitely for me, it's reevaluating the systems that I have for tracking my progress and logging exactly how my time is being spent in each of my languages a little bit more specifically than what I've been doing. And that's my takeaway. So if you've enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. Until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. 
The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.